0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Now I want to do a quick survey. Okay, here's the quick survey. Um, What is your favorite Christmas song? Get it in your head. Just What's your favorite Christmas song? You, you, You got it in your head? Okay, on the count of three, I want you to shout it out, the title, to me. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Okay, a lot of good choices. I think. Did anybody say, Mary, did you know? Really, there were four or five in the first service that that was, oh, we got one, we got one. Well, Miss Kara, I want you to know that I'm, uh, I'm not a hater. I love that song. Um, And I'm not disrespecting that song at all with what I'm about to say next. But the answer to the question that got repeated in that song, Mary, did you know? She knew. She knew. She knew so much of, of those questions in the song. She knew that once she was told that she would be carrying the Messiah, she knew that... That baby boy would save her sons and daughters. She knew. She knew that the child that she delivered would one day deliver her. She knew. She knew, knew so many things. She, she, she knew that he would, was Lord of all creation. She knew. She knew that he would one day rule the nation. She knew. The only question in there that gets asked that I go, well, she may not have known that, was did you know he'd walk on water one day? And the only reason she didn't know that is because it hadn't been prophesied yet. You know, there's not a place in Scripture that I know of that that was prophesied that he would do that. Everything else, I believe with all my heart she knew, because if you have studied the life of Mary and looked at the things that she said and spoke, uh, just kind of out of her heart, you could tell she was an incredible student of the Bible, the Old Testament of her time. So the answer to those questions, Mary, did you know? Absolutely. She, she knew because of her, her great love of, of God's Word. And I want us to take a moment and jump to that, that announcement. What we know is the Annunciation, um, the angel Gabriel showing up to, to tell Mary that she was going to, to give birth to the Son of God. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 30. It says, And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, just an interesting side note. This isn't the point of the message. But it's interesting to me that in that sentence where the angel says, fear not, you've found favor. Did you realize that sometimes you can be in, have the greatest favor with God and it can bring fear? Because oftentimes when you're in the middle of the favor of God, he's going to be bringing an opportunity to you that you think, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can handle that. You know, it can create that, that, that kind of tension. Go on, verse, verse, um, verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give, you, give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child born to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, I don't know how much you uh, enjoy looking at works of art, especially those as it relates to the life of Jesus. I, I, I do. Um, one, of the, one of the Advent... Devotionals that I get, it comes to my email every day. Um, it has a devotional thought, it has passages of scripture to think about. It um, also uh, delivers a, an artwork and a song, um, something musical, uh, each day. And I've enjoyed that. I did that last year. I'm doing it again this year and finding uh, just the grace of God in those things. Uh, but sometimes artists renderings of you know, events from the scriptures get a little. I'm just going to say squirrely sometimes. Just kind of seem to be off the rails to me. A lot of times when you see this enunciation depicted in artwork, you, you see this, what looks like this very prominent, very wealthy young, young lady, you know, pictured with her Bible open. And if you ask the artist, well, what's she reading? He'd probably say, well, she's reading, you know, Isaiah 714 about the virgin giving birth. That's, that's how she knew it was her. Well, I like something that points to something a little more simple, uh, probably something that's a little more reality-based. I love this image uh, by Henry Tanner, uh, his painting of the Annunciation. And in it, there's just this, this simple peasant girl. She's, she's alone. If you kind of could look at her face a little more clearly up close, you may want to go ahead and Google this when you get home or something. Um, but she's, you can tell that there's some nervous tension going on in her. And if the angel appeared to me, I imagine there'd be some nervous tension going on in me too, you know, especially with what he's telling her. And she's not living in some kind of, you know, palace or anything like that. It's just a very simple kind of life that could have happened on any given day. And I want us to kind of step back out of that moment with Mary and think a little bit about this announcement that was made and and about, and about Mary. See, Mary in this moment of the Annunciation, she is stepping into kind of a river of the movement of God that has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years of God meeting with his people. You know, we see in the life of Moses and the, the history of uh, God calling his people, there was this time when they, uh, God met with them in a tent And then later God would give them instructions and they'd build a tabernacle and God would meet with them in a tabernacle. And then after the tabernacle, God would meet with them in a temple. But Mary is stepping into that that kind of stream as the Old Testament recorded these moments when there would be this movement of heaven to earth in these places of of meeting. And now in the New Testament, in what we read in Luke chapter 1, Mary's stepping into that place where there had been a tent and a temple and a tabernacle. Well, that was wrong, or tent, tent, tabernacle, temple, where that had kind of been the process. Now, the meeting of God is taking place in Mary's body. The, in, the intersection of heaven and earth are, is happening in Mary. She's going to, in some strange sense, in this moment, Mary becomes the Ark of the Covenant, carrying The hope of the world, the message of God, the Christ himself. Literally, God is in her. Literally. Now, this stirs a little bit of a question for me that I want to provoke you with today. Okay? Um, And I don't want to offend anybody with this question, but I I want to use it as a question to, to, to help us think. So, before you come at me with pitchforks or anything like that, let me unpack this for a moment. Okay? Um, Let's just, let's think about this together. Here's the question. How unique is Mary? Now, I get that she is the blessed mother of our Lord and Savior Jesus. I get that she was, uh, you know, the only virgin to give birth to a child. So in many ways, she's unique. But how unique is she in carrying the Christ? And I want you to ponder that today as we think about Paul's very short and brief explanation of the Christmas story to the church at Galatia that we're camping out in uh, this this Advent season. Remember, we've said that Advent is is about waiting. It's it's about forward-focused thinking on Christ's return while glancing back, glancing back and look at at, at, at Christ's first coming. And we've said that Advent reminds us that we live in the now, uh, but not yet. It's not the fulfillment of everything uh, on the Orthodox calendar, church calendar. This, this season's called Advent. And I want you to listen now to the way the Apostle Paul invites us to think about all of this in Galatians 4. He starts out and says, but when the fullness of time had come. Now last week, we, we paused there and talked about What that meant, it meant up until that point, time had been lacking something. And we talked about that God uh, had made promises, but that had not delivered on those promises yet. And we said that we needed to always look at God's promises as a process, that God doesn't just speak it and then deliver it usually. He he has something going on uh, in that waiting time that He's doing inside of us in the waiting. And so there's process to His promise. But then in verse 4, it said, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. You could say as children. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, verses 4 and 5, we, we understand, we, we get that, that. That kind of seems the, an explanation we get. But verse 6, that God will send His Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Sometimes that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. This idea of the Spirit in, in our hearts. Now, one of the things that often happens to folks at Christmas is we experience company coming. You ever experience maybe company coming to your house for a party or maybe family coming to stay with you at Christmas, you know, moving into the house? Um, Now, whether that's going to be your Christmas experience this year or not, if you're a follower of Christ, you got company. You got company already because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And I want you to think about this, this picture that the Scripture paints, uh, that, you know, what was truly physical of Mary carrying the Christ child in her womb is actually true of every believer spiritually carrying Christ in our hearts. And I want us to think about this this Christmas in a, in a maybe a deep way. You know, the Apostle John will say that Jesus... Christ took on flesh. You read the opening of the Gospel of John. It tells us that he took on flesh. I love the way, if you've ever read the, the message translation, um, you'll know that one of the, the, the neat ways that Eugene Peterson translates that, that verse is he said, and God moved into the neighborhood. You know, he moved into the neighborhood. And, and Paul would go, yeah, that, that's exactly what he did. He moved, he moved into the neighborhood, but that wasn't the end game. The end game was so that he could move into your heart, my heart. That was the end game. And that's the big idea for today that I I hope you will be captured by and kind of walk into the rest of this Christmas season uh, pondering and thinking about the depths of this. God came to dwell among us so that he could ultimately dwell within us. He came to dwell among us to be with us so that he could live in us. So I want to go back to that question. How unique was Mary with this in in mind? If you go back and you look at Luke's gospel again, the angel's pronouncement that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon her and that she would give birth to a son, I want you to listen again to the language that Luke uses in verse 35. He says, the angel answered her. She asked this question. How can a virgin, you know, be with child? The angel answered her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. That verse is about the incarnation. But if you fast forward into Luke's account of the birth of the church in Acts, he gives an account of Jesus just before his ascension, And I want you to notice the language that is used here, that Jesus uses, that Luke quotes. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit does what? Comes upon you, church, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, every first century reader, you know, if you're reading through the the book of Luke and you have read that and you get to Acts and you read that, you, you would have realized that what what Luke is saying is that you're you're saying that what happened to Mary is happening to us? And Luke would have go, yeah, that's what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit is coming upon us. He'd go, absolutely, yes. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, in the same way that Mary gave birth to the Christ child, The church of Jesus is to give birth to the rule of Christ, to the reign of Christ, to the kingdom of Christ in this world. We're to to be the ones that bring that to bear. So do you see this movement, this this river of God moving, the meeting with God's people in the tent, meeting with God's people in the tabernacle, meeting with God's people in the temple, uh, meeting in Mary, and and now where, where, where is... Where's, where's heaven now intersecting with earth? You, me, uh, us. Those of us who follow Jesus have the Spirit living in us. And we need to be captured by this. Listen to how Paul describes this to brothers and sisters in, at the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know... It's kind of that Mary song. Mary, did you know? Corinth, do you know? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? See, you and I are temples. We're the place where the Spirit of God intersects with earth, with humanity, where the manifest presence of God exists. So this Christmas, I want to challenge you with something. I want to challenge you with this thought about who you are, okay? This Christmas, I want you to see that the intersection of heaven and earth is you. In the Old Testament, it was a tent and a tabernacle and a temple. Now, it's you. It's me. And I got some other things to share, but I want to let that sink in for just a minute. Because the Spirit of Jesus lives in you if you have trusted Him. This is the intersection of, of heaven and earth is in you. Now, I don't know what the context was you grew up in as it relates to the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I know that the Holy Spirit was, um, He was more than a mystery for, in the family I grew up in. I don't ever remember the Holy Spirit being mentioned. Now, God was mentioned and Jesus was mentioned. The Holy Spirit wasn't talked about. And so, most families in the South, um, you know, have that, have that weird uncle. You know, and we just bring them out and make them public in the South. I know most people try to hide them, you know, and, 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 you know, put them in a closet or something like that. But oftentimes, we treat the Holy Spirit like that weird uncle. We don't know what to do with him, but we just love him. You know, we know he's in the room. So that's, that's kind of some people's understanding of the Holy Spirit. They don't know how to interact. They don't know how to think about the movement of the Holy Spirit. Other people, when the, you know, the name of the Holy Spirit gets mentioned, they reach into their back pocket because they got some anointing oil and they're going to town. They start looking saying, where's the snakes and the scorpions because we're going to subdue them babies right now. You know? it, it just depends on kind of your origin, on what you grew up in with, with understanding the Holy Spirit. And I want us to think today about what, 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 what God is saying to us through His Word, because we see the Spirit showing up at Christmas, and we, we understand that the Spirit is in us now. And how do these relate? So I want to give you my, my uh, here's how I would introduce you personally to the Holy Spirit start to say description or definition, but it would be more of an introduction. And I'm borrowing this from a guy by the name of Gordon, Gordon Fee, and it's his description. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. Now, I know you're saying, well, that was simple. Yeah, he's a person. And he he is God's empowering presence in your life. See, Jesus thought so highly of the Holy Spirit that when he was with his best friends, Shortly before he would be going to the cross, he said this in John 16, 7. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So here's my question. Has Jesus gone? He did. Jesus left earth, ascended into heaven. The Bible tells us he's seated at the right hand of the Father there. So if Jesus is gone and he says, if I go, what am I going to do? I'm going to send the Spirit. That means he has done that. The Spirit is here. And so when you think about this in the context of Christmas, Jesus would say, hey, Christmas, awesome, celebrate, but don't miss Pentecost. Incarnation, yes. Don't miss indwelling. Don't miss the Spirit. Don't miss that. I love the way uh, J.D. Greer, in his book, Jesus Continued, it was a book about the Holy Spirit. He made this statement. I loved it. He said that what Jesus was saying in John 16, 7 is that God in you is better than God beside you. And We, we, can't, we have a hard time wrapping our minds around it, but that's truth about the Holy Spirit, that Jesus himself spoke Now, here's one of the reasons I think we struggle with this. Most religious people that I know, and and even many Christ followers, still think somehow that God is in some place I have to go to. Well, God's at church, so I'm going to go to church to meet with God. Friends, if God is here, it's because you're here. You're the temple. You're you're that place where heaven intersects with earth. When we gather, Jesus says there's even greater power and expression of of the Holy Spirit's presence because he's in in you, he's in us. So here's, here's a question related to that. Is God where you work? Well, if you're there that day and you're a Christ follower, he is. Is God in your home? Well, if you're a Christ follower and you're there, He's there. See, what we celebrate at Christmas uh, is not that God, you know, is somewhere else, but that He's decided to make His home in us. Remember that. Remember that He came to dwell among us so that He could one day ultimately dwell in us. And I really want to urge you to press in to this today. You know, I've I've been in ministry in churches for a little over 40 years now. And one of the things that I have witnessed now that I I can't point you to a passage of Scripture, but I've seen it, and I I just believe it's true, that no one really begins the journey of transformation until they begin to realize that the divine actually lives in them, that that the, the, the Spirit of God ...is in us, that God isn't somewhere else. God is where we are. He, he's in us. And we've got to learn how to have a relationship with the Spirit of God is in us. Paul would go on to say, that's the hope of glory that we have here on earth... ...is the Spirit of God living in us. And so, in the book of Galatians, Paul goes to great lengths... ...trying to correct some misinformation that the Galatians have picked up... ...about the Holy Spirit. He actually tries to battle some lies... Um, that the Judaizers had come in to try to, to tell the, God's people. And so here, what I want us to do today is I want to do just some reminders, if you would, maybe some correction, I don't know, but at least some reminders of, of the Holy Spirit and His activity. Because if you want to have a full Christmas, you have got to experience the fullness of the Spirit. It's the only way that we'll actually have a full Christmas. So maybe this is the first kind of corrective thought. You know, for Mary, her carrying the Christ child changed everything for her. Mary carrying the Christ child, it changed absolutely everything for her. So here's the question that I want you to ponder for a minute is how have you carrying Christ's Spirit changed you? How have you carrying Christ's Spirit This last month changed you. How how has that taken place? See, here's a reality. What Mary carried physically in her womb, we carry spiritually in our hearts. What Mary carried physically in her womb, we, you and I, carry spiritually in our hearts. The Spirit of Christ is what Paul tells us. So if we go on and we continue to look in, in the book of Galatians... Uh, if you go to like back up and look in Galatians chapter 3 for a moment, Paul, Paul using some very graphic language, gets harsh for a moment with the Galatians. And he, he kind of, chapter 3 kind of opens with this idea is, man, who fooled you people? Who pulled the wool over your eyes? And then he goes on in, in, in verse 10 and he says this For all who rely on the works of the law, are under a curse. And Paul's saying there's two ways that you can come to God. One, one approach to, to God is the way that the Jews were trying to do it, accomplishing, you know, finding favor with God by their performance. The more of the law they thought they kept, the, the more of God they thought they got. That was kind of the, the idea. And so when, they, when, when Paul came and brought the gospel and a freedom, these Judaizers came back in and started lying and saying, no, you got to keep the law too, perfectly. Paul said, it, it, it can't be done. So he, he goes on, he said, uh, people thought, you know, they were under the law. If they performed well, they'd get more of the Spirit. That was kind of what was happening in this New Testament church. So Paul writes then, um, Galatians 3, verse 10, he says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and, and do them. And what Paul is saying is, there, there's, there's a problem Not with the law. Not that the law itself is bad. The problem is you just can't keep all of it. It's it's impossible. You can't keep all of it. And the deal is if you're going to try to be made right with God by the law, you got to keep all of it all the time. Every bit of it, 24-7, 365. I do good to keep it for 15 minutes. How about you? You know? It's just, it, it's, it's just incredible. And Paul is saying you can't, you can't live that way. That's, it, it's a problem. All of it, all the time. Paul goes on in verse 11. He says this. He says, now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall uh, live by them. And then he goes on, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That curse, again, is trying to get right with God based on what you do. Verse 13, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. That's what Christ did. It goes on, it says, For it is written, For cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. See, the blessing that you receive isn't because, like, you're so totally super amazing, awesome, You you get the same blessing that Abraham got. And that just simply came because of the grace of God. Because of the grace of God to you. you. You receive this blessing of Abraham, the blessing of life and faith. And it goes on, Paul tells us that this blessing is so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The blessing of God comes to you so that you can receive the spirit. What Paul's doing, he's trying to shift their stinking thinking from this idea, if I perform well enough, I'll get more of God, I'll get more of the Spirit. Friend, you receive the Spirit, and the Spirit empowers you to move forward by the grace of God. The Spirit isn't a goal to achieve in the Christian life. The Spirit is the source of living the Christian life. So these are two different ways of, a, of approaching, and, and Paul just keeps pounding this all throughout the letter to Galatia. And what Paul is basically, I just want to kind of give you a summary here for just a second, is this. The Holy Spirit isn't something you earn. It's not something you earn. It's someone you receive. He's someone you receive. You, you, don't, you, can't, you can't obey your way to get the Spirit. But you can live obediently from the Spirit. Those are two different ways of looking at what the Spirit does. And friends, this is really the essence of the Christmas story. It really is the, the, the essence of the Christmas story. The God of the universe, for reasons known only to Him, chooses to be born in a cave on a back alley road rather than in a palace. To be born uh, to a poor Jewish peasant girl rather than to a queen in a palace. And I love that about the Christmas story. And one of the reasons I love it so much is because when I look, when I take the time to look deep into my own soul, some days I I can go, okay, not horrible. But then there are other days when I take a deep look inside and I think, oh my, I'm a mess inside. I am just, I'm battling brokenness still. I'm just a mess inside. And I'm so grateful at Christmas that the great message is God comes into those places. Those are the places where God comes. God's Spirit enters into that place. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you have the Spirit of God in you. And as Paul writes this letter to the church at Galatia, and he points out very briefly the context of the Christmas story, he's going to keep hitting this about the Holy Spirit being central to this. If you flip over to Galatians chapter 5, looking in verse 16 through 18, Paul wants you to understand that when you receive the Spirit, something starts to happen. It's one of the ways you know you receive the Spirit, that there's going to be some movement. It might be unexpected. Look at, look at Galatians 5, 16. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're not, you're not going to fall under that. And what he's saying here is that system of, you know, if I, can, if I can just do it right, I'll get more of God, I'll get more of His Spirit. You're not under that system anymore. That system failed. But notice what Paul does. He, he speaks into something that we might still struggle with in our own minds. You know, I, I don't know how the gospel came to you. But I know sometimes well-intentioned people, people that you may respect very deeply. People who love the Lord, I've heard them come to people and say, you know, if you're a Christian, life's going to get easier for you if you become a Christian. You know, things are just going to get easier. It's going to be amazing and wonderful, best life now kind of stuff. And I could see Paul saying, "Mm, yes and no. You know, I, I think Paul would say, that the spirit who lives in you is now going to create an internal opposition. There's going to be some clanging around going on deep inside of your soul because you've been accustomed to living life a certain way and thinking a certain way, things that feel so natural. Things like when somebody doesn't do something the way that you want them to do or you grow bitter because they wronged you and you secretly like holding that inside. And letting that stew, the Holy Spirit's gonna convict you and say, There's a better way to live. This harboring anger towards people you perceive to be your enemies, the Spirit's gonna say, actually, better way to live is to love them and and, and pray for them. That that lust that you think brings you momentarily, you know, some pleasure, the Spirit's gonna say, actually, there's a better way. There's a way of love. See, quite frankly, friends, becoming a follower of Jesus and having God's Spirit come to live in you will make things more difficult before they get easy, more challenging at first. That's what Paul's saying. Now, you and I know this. The best things in life are worth that kind of effort, worth that kind of tension, worth that kind of of work. And Paul would say, and I would say with him, The health of our souls is worth it. It's worth going through that. So here's something else that I want you to know about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't something that gives you automatic victory. The Holy Spirit is someone who empowers us for battle. It's very different. Oftentimes people, when they come to Jesus, they want all their problems to go away. And what God does is He puts His Spirit in you and begins working on you and in you, to to move you uh, along. See, being indwelt by the Spirit of the living God, it's more like stepping onto a battleship than a cruise ship. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise, but if you've ever been on a cruise ship, everybody on that cruise ship that works on that cruise ship, they exist to just make your life and experience wonderful. They want you to be happy and well-fed. And just enjoy yourselves. But when you step on a battleship, the purpose of everybody and everything on that battleship is to give you the equipment you need to win a victory. That's when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. It's more like coming onto a battleship where you're being equipped to live a victorious life. Friends, you're fighting for the health of your soul. And the health of the soul of your family. And the health of the the souls of of our brothers and sisters in this church. And for that, it's worth this effort. Paul says it like this in verse 8. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You're going to begin getting to experience the eternal kind of life that God has for you in the here and now. Paul's going, look, we're going to pour all this energy and all this time in one of two things, either into the Spirit or to the flesh, either into the presence of the person of God or or, or into the things of this world, into the culture. And I've watched just so many who who named Jesus as Lord not, no, go, go through their Christian life not knowing that the Spirit of God actually wants to give them power wants to em- empower them instead of just automatically dispensing victory, wants to empower the you to come into victory. And so, here's how that comes about. We combat lies through focusing our minds on truth. We overcome lies of the enemy by focusing our minds on truth. We, we overcome bad habits by replacing them With spiritual discipline habits that the Holy Spirit wants to infuse. To help us break free of those those old habits. The Spirit loves to, spiritual habits, He loves to infuse them with His life. The Apostle Paul further explains this, look at verse 19. The works of the flesh, they're evident. And he gives this list, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, we're we're going to time out for a minute, sidebar. Okay, because I need to explain that last phrase because most people, when they read that, a lot of times they think, so if, if I do something like that, that means I'm not going to heaven. It's not what Paul is saying here. It's not what he, he's talking, he's not saying that your behavior determines your destination. He's not saying that. What Paul is saying is what we've been learning in the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus, that the way you live in the here and now will determine whether you're going to enter, whether you're going to begin inheriting a kingdom kind of life now. Jesus said it was possible. Paul is saying it's possible. Paul is saying, you're not going to get there that way, though. And so Paul goes on. He said, you're not going to inherit the kingdom if you're living that way. Paul wants you to see, you know, it's possible to live under the rule and the reign of God. Just like Jesus taught us that the Spirit has something better for us. And so Paul goes on, and we get to verse 22. And many of you know this. But the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what kingdom living looks like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against those, there is no law. No law uh, uh, against those. He goes on in verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It, this section, especially chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Galatians... Paul is teaching us that if we want to really fully experience the Spirit of God, we've got to walk in the Spirit. We've got to be led by the Spirit. We've got to choose to live by the Spirit. And we've got to keep in step with the Spirit. So here's the question at this moment. What are you walking in? What are you walking in mostly? Are you walking mostly in your flesh? Are you walking mostly by the Spirit? And Paul says, look, when you find yourself, and you will, when you find yourself walking in the flesh, come back to the Spirit. Just just come back. Come back to the Spirit. When you find yourself walking in the flesh, come back to the Spirit. Because the Spirit is going to give you a better way. He wants to give you a better life. He's not going to force it on you. That's not who the Holy Spirit is, which leads to another truth that I want us to grab hold of about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't something that controls us. that's just going to take you over. The Holy Spirit is someone who will lead you, though. He's someone who will lead us. In John 13, 16, Jesus said that the Spirit is like, He's like a guide. He, He will guide you. Now, there are some people that when, You say, guide, you may think of, you know, somebody like driving cattle, you know, hollering at the cattle, prodding and poking them, you know, shocking them into submission, whatever. But when the Bible pictures the Spirit, He's more like a shepherd who knows your name, who is out in front walking saying, follow me. I got greener pastures for you, baby. I got some beautiful still water for you. I I got a better way. But in order to experience that kind of leading by the Holy Spirit, one of the things that we have to remind ourselves of constantly, say to ourselves and to each other, is Jesus is Lord. We've got to declare Jesus is my Lord. We've got to declare Jesus is your rule. Jesus, you reign. Jesus, I don't know what you're going to say next, but the answer is yes, I'll do it. If you want to get the Spirit, you want to experience Him fully, guiding you like a shepherd. One more way that the Spirit guides us, and let me unpack this one. But the Spirit guides us through our cultivated conscience. A cultivated conscious. When I say cultivated, what I mean is it's not going to come natural at first. You're going to have to cultivate this relationship. You've you got to train yourself to actually hear God speaking through His Spirit. Know it's the Spirit's voice. By conscience, I mean you're not checking out mentally. There are a lot of people that think, "Oh, well, I'm going to go into some kind of trance and get me there to message from the Holy Spirit. no. He works in your life, in real time, in in your conscience. This is the way of Jesus. What you choose to do is surrender your mind to his truths. You don't check out your mind full. You you look and say, oh my, God, you're you're doing something. I want to pay attention to this. God, I think you're speaking to me. I I want to listen. It's why Paul would say to the church at Colossa, set your minds on things that are above. It's not a a mind-releasing thing. It's a mind-setting thing. You set your mind on the things of God, and you will experience the moving of the Spirit. It's intentional participation. One last way I want to give you that He guides us. The Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches, guides us through conviction, not condemnation. He guides us through conviction, not condemnation. Jesus told the disciples that when the Spirit comes that one of his roles is conviction. So we should expect that the Spirit will point out things in our life where we are going astray. Look at what Jesus said uh, about the Spirit in John 16. He says, and when he comes, speaking of the Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is to be judged. When the Spirit comes, he'll convict differently than the enemy of your soul convicts see when the when the enemy comes to you he wants to bring death when the spirit comes to you he wants to bring you to life and it's going to sound different in your soul conviction by the spirit always leads to repentance that's the goal to always lead us to make a turn back to jesus When when the enemy comes bringing his conviction, his condemnation, and his goal is to lead you to guilt and shame. He wants your life to be just obsessed by this stuff. Now, they they could both be speaking into the same event. could be the same sin that you just committed. One is going to convict you towards repentance. The other voice is going to try to condemn you. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. See, the voice of condemnation is going to basically say, you're a loser, you've always been no good, and you will forever be no good. The Spirit's voice always says, you are loved. Come back. Find joy. Come to your Father. Don't we have a good God? I mean, that would, that, that's His Spirit. That's His, His hope for us. So, back to the question. And that, that picture of Mary. Mary. How unique is Mary? How unique is Mary? Sure, she's unique in ways. She carried the child in her womb physically. But you carry the Christ in your heart spiritually. At Christmas, he came to dwell among us so that he could ultimately dwell within us. Paul writes on that, about that little Christmas story that blurb in Galatians 4. He he writes, God has sent His Spirit of His Son into our hearts. God sent Jesus. And He sent His Spirit into our hearts. So how do we respond? How do we respond? Do you remember how Mary responded? Look at this passage. In Luke chapter 1, verse 38. She's going like, God, I don't don't get it. I don't know how a, a virgin is going to a bear a child. Man, I, I heard what the angel said, uh, but then she says, let it be. I'm your servant, God. Just let it be. I know you, m- many people think, you know, the, the Beatles invented those three words tied together. They didn't. Okay. Mary was saying, let it be long before they did. If you want a full Christmas, you got to become a let it be. If, if you, if you want to experience hope, and, and peace, and joy, and love this Christmas, I want to encourage you to do two things that relates to the Spirit of God. I'm going to move real quickly here, okay? Keep up. We're going to talk fast. Here's the first thing, to have a full Christmas. Live with conviction. L- live with the conviction that the Spirit, of, the, the deeply held belief that if you've trusted Christ, the Spirit of God is alive in you. He lives in you. You can hear God personally, intimately moving in, in you. And what that means is you're going to step out a little differently in faith. That God is up to something around you and, and in you and through you. You're going to anticipate with greater, greater eagerness that God is, God is going to do something in this season. And you're going to get to see it. Hebrews 4.14 tells us, So then... Since we have Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Do you believe that? Do you believe because the Spirit lives in you, you're going to see something of God this season of Christmas. His Spirit is alive in you. So live with a new boldness and hope of joy because Jesus is the hope of the world. Second thing that I want to encourage you to do, if you want to have a full Christmas, you got to receive His joy. you got to receive the joy of the Holy Spirit and, and friends, if you have the joy of Jesus in you, I know some. if I came and asked you, do you have the joy of Jesus in you? you say, uh-huh. Well, some of you need to tell your face. You just need to tell your face because your face needs to exude the joy of Jesus this season, okay? You need to receive his joy. And one of the ways that the Bible tells us that Mary... Really embraced the joy of, of, of knowing that she was going to bear the Son of Christ. When you, when you get into the story, uh, Luke's narrative, it, Luke tells us that Mary pondered these things in her heart. Friends, if you want to drill deep and experience the well of joy that you have because the Spirit lives in you, you got to ponder these things. you got, you got to be thinking on these things. God, you are in me. How often do you think about God, the God of all, the God who spoke creation into existence lives in you. His empowering presence, that's God, lives in you. Man, that should bring you great joy that he's come to redeem your life. That he came to save you. Mary, did you know? She knew. Brother, sister, do you know? Do you know about the spirit in you and what what he's come to do? Mary was filled with joy. One of the ways you know this is she just broke out in what we know as the Magnificat. I encourage you to go home and read that. Just just incredible expression of joy. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. She just bursts with joy. And this is part of my prayer for, for you and for me this Christmas. It's, it's Romans 15, 13. I think the Spirit led me there to, to pray this. And it's this. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you're going to be filled with joy. It's, it's recognizing that you're linked to the power of the Holy Spirit. Finally, I want to close on this. And this is going to be difficult for those of us that don't have a womb. Okay? It's going to be harder for us. Uh, I'll just go ahead and warn you. But if you want to have a full Christmas, give birth. If you want to have a full Christmas, give birth. Friends, in the same way that Mary carries the Christ child and delivers him to the world, we, you, me, we carry the Spirit of Christ in us. And part of what God longs for us to do is to deliver him to the world. You want want joy? You deliver Christ to someone who's never known Him before. And you see the joy in their life. We carry the Spirit of Christ into the world. Mark chapter 16, Jesus is about to depart. One of the last things He says to His disciples is this. Go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. And friends, that's just the truth about people who get filled with the Spirit of God. You want a full Christmas? you got to experience the fullness of the Spirit. And this this happens. And when it does, you're going to want to tell others. You'll want them to have the joy that you have. So maybe maybe being filled with the Spirit this Christmas, this, this Advent season, means you would start speaking of Him more. You'd start telling people things like, Merry Christmas. When somebody tells you Merry Christmas back, you will be overwhelmed with joy so much so that you want to talk with them, thank them for for that, that greeting. This Christmas season, give birth. Invite somebody to church on your way out. Pick up, be intentional about this. Pick up one of those invitation cards on the table as you go out to give to somebody, to invite them to join you for one of our Christmas Eve services. Or better yet, take a moment to tell them about the hope you have because you carry the spirit of Jesus in you. Deliver it to someone. I hope you do. Let's pray. Lord, we come giving thanks in this moment for your goodness. We thank you that you are so, so very good to us that you came. You came to this earth to live among us so that you could one day indwell us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for sending your spirit into us so that we could have life, so that we could have uh, experience your kingdom in the here and now, that we could have a taste of eternity, that kind of living, that we could bear in our bodies the spirit of Jesus that we could give to somebody else. Thank you for loving us that much and entrusting your spirit to us. And Holy Spirit, we come in this moment giving thanks to you that you would choose to indwell us, that you would joyfully empower us to experience the fullest Christmas ever. We come in this moment giving thanks for your goodness. your mercy and we pray holy spirit we long for a fresh awakening of your voice in us we want to we want to hear you we want to see you moving because we believe it we're clinging to that that you are in us this christmas speak to us, spirit as we adore jesus our lord Let us worship right now our Lord in spirit and in the truth of the spirits living in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.